stepped off in it, haven't we? Oh, uh, yeah, there's a lot right there. We, we get uh, right at the beginning, we, we get some, uh, some tension often in our cultural moment. When, when the Bible starts talking about wives uh, submitting, um, we, we kind of, from all different angles, we got to go, whoa, 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 you know, where are we coming from? What? And so, man, let's just, like, like, so here's, if you've been with us, and maybe you tried to read along, and maybe you're like, okay, maybe he said something before that that helps. It is an abrupt shift that Paul takes here from what we have been talking about, you know, and talking about putting on the new self, you know, taking off the old, get it killing sin so it's not killing you, and, and then putting on the new self. And then he just, you're like, well, okay, maybe he transitioned. No, he didn't. He just went right into this. It is an abrupt shift into uh, the role of marriage. And so, um, and then it's going to get into family. And, and so, but it's intentional with that. And so while it feels abrupt, it's actually not because it's all tied to the previous deal. So um, when we come into discussions or approach scriptures and teachings about God's um, plan for marriage and, and, and roles and gender, if we're, if we're starting with our cultural understanding and trying to look in on the scriptures, we're going to have trouble getting to exactly what God meant. And we're going to throw flags and say, well, that can't be what it means. And, and surely it's not that. And it's going to feel repressive in some areas and op oppressive and, and like we're stepping back into another age, if you will. But we have to start with the right context. And, and just as a quick side note, the people reading this that Paul wrote it to in Colossae would have been offended, but in totally different ways than you and I. Like the cultural rub that they would have felt is actually, because it's not uncommon for them to hear wife submit to your husbands, but it, man, it was countercultural for there to be any instructions for the husbands to love their wives. Like in that day and age, wives were basically, you know, in, in Hellenistic culture, right? Greek, right, like Roman, like even the Jewish culture had, had moved in this direction. Wives were basically treated like property. Right? They, they had no legal right. Like they couldn't initiate divorce. They, couldn't, uh, they just didn't have rights. And so it wasn't uncommon to hear, yeah, wives submit to your husbands. But what was absolutely countercultural is for someone to speak to men as though they had an obligation and a role to love them well. And so we're going to get into that. And it's so important that we remember that, that God's word transcends our culture. It transcends our moments of in and out. And we have to do some work to dig out exactly what was going on because we do un just we can't really help but start with what we've known and what we've been shaped by in our culture. But when we do that, we see that God's commands are good. They're for the flourishing of, of humanity in general. And they are not to be determined by the culture and worked out, but rather they are given as a part of the new self. They're given as a part of this kingdom that Jesus has brought. And so it is so important to keep this in the context of the rest of, of Colossians, which is the whole point of Colossians has been Jesus is supreme. Jesus is king. He has rescued you and made you into a people, not of your own doing, not because of anything you did, but because of his grace, he's rescued you and he's made you a new people. Because he's made you a new people, this is how you live. Right? And it's so important to not just go to the action because what he drills down in is that idea of being made new. That Jesus has, has gone to the cross on our behalf so that we could be set free from the struggles and the tension and the pain and the chains that this world puts on us whenever we try to get our identity and value and satisfaction out of this world. Has anybody felt that? Is anybody struggling with that right now? To, to, to feel like, you know, like, man, life, life's hard, isn't it? 
Not to mention marriage that we're about to get to. It's hard. Okay, so it's important as we approach this to remember that Paul has said, hey, you've been set free from that cultural tension. You've been set free from trying to get your identity horizontally from what other people think about you. You've been set free from trying to get your identity from your relationships because now Christ is all and in all and there is no more barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, male, female, as Galatians 2.28 says. This passage doesn't negate Galatians 2.28 where it says there's no longer male, female, but Christ is in all and all. Like we are equal. Right? And it's a revolutionary and liberating theology that Paul is teaching here that speaks into a culture that was oppressive to women. This, is a, this, is a, this would have been considered progressive in this day. It was mind-blowing and, and, and liberating to what, what um, the, the culture had said, particularly women's values are, women and, and, and what their value is. And so this, has, we have to let the Bible define our approach to all things, and particularly when it comes to marriage. There are only really three institutions that God's word speaks directly to how they should be operated in the Bible, right? That's the family, that's the church, and, and to some degree, the state. It, it, you know, schools are super important, but there's no specific instruction on how they're to be operated, right? Hospitals, no, no instructions on that, right? Corporations, business, like there's principles to be applied, sure, because we're going to see that in a couple weeks, but Specific institutions that are given by God as a part of the foundational, like the foundation of society, are so important that He Himself instituted them and therefore He also regulates them. So we look to Him. We look to Him. We don't start with the culture and see if we can fit, you know, see if God's word fits our agenda. We start with His word and we live that out within our culture. We are faithful within our culture, but we've got some work to do to get there. We've got some work to do to understand exactly what Paul means and how this is liberating and how this is good. We need to look carefully at the context. And so, it, 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 again, this only applies, this only works if we have started. He's assuming, before we get to this instruction, he's assuming that the people that he's talking to have gone and fallen at, at at the cross, on their knees, laying down their life, laying down their old way of life and dying to that and, and, and crying out to Jesus and making him the Lord of their life. He's assuming that. And, and the Bible, like it's this beautiful paradox within the gospel that says, hey, you want to save your life, you need to lay it down. And in laying it down, you will actually find the life that you so desire. Right? So Paul is assuming that we have new identities in Jesus, that, that we are now living out of, out of this idea that we're dead to ourselves. we are alive in Christ, and now we live that out. So it, it has to start there. It has to start there, because if you come into marriage still trying to get your value and your worth from other people, you are going to crush your spouse and ruin your marriage. If you come into marriage still trying to work out whether or not you are important or whether or not you have worth or whether or not people care, like you're going to put an expectation on your spouse that they cannot bear and it will lead to all sorts of conflict. If you come into marriage still with a prideful heart thinking you are entitled to be served, you're going to ruin your marriage. So we have, to, we have to remember this is all in the context of sinners being humbled at the cross, given new hearts and new life. Now, take this on and live this out, okay? Take this on and live this out. And so, it only works whenever we, we, we start there. Any teaching on marriage, whether that be Ephesians 5, which is 
sort of the flagship, most exhaustive um, passage about marriage, and it's very parallel to what we're seeing here. Colossians is, is a sort of abbreviated version of that same teaching. So Ephesians 5, 1 Peter talks about submission, talks about marriage. None of them go there without first talking about the gospel implications, without first talking about who we are in Christ, that we are a new humanity. And as that new humanity, this is how God has intended for us to live, and it is for our good. Okay? God never gives us laws and rules to take from us. I want to say that again. God never gives us laws and rules to take from us. He is always, always leading us to life. We have to start there. We have to remember that. Okay, so with all of that in mind, let's jump in. Okay, let's jump in. So it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Okay, so here's the first point. And we got three big points. You can write these down if you want. The first point is when applied correctly, this text and others like it, will lead to a Christ-centered marriage, not a husband-centered marriage. Okay, when applied correctly, this text and others like it will lead to a Christ-centered marriage, not a husband-centered marriage, okay? What do I mean by that? Any distortion of this that leads to an entitled husband using this verse as a weapon over their wife is, is, is wrong and is offensive to the Lord, okay? Um, any version of this that leads to the husband just being served and being treated like a kid. That's not what this is about, okay? This is about the, the bigger context of we are image bearers and we are made in God's image. God is, we're going to look at this in depth in, in just a little bit, but God is, is one God, three persons. There's equality within that, but there's also submission and headship within that trinity. And so the, the whole movement of history is to see Christ exalted overall. That's the whole point of Colossians, if you haven't got it yet, is that Christ is all, he made all, he spoke all into existence, he holds all together, and in the end, that we will all be worshiping him. Christ is supreme, he's overall, and that is the movement of history, is to see Christ exalted overall, and that, therefore, is the purpose of our marriages. Marriage is a good gift to us, but it is not primarily about us. Marriage is a good gift to us, but it's not primarily about us. And we have to start there and remember that, because if not, if we think it's about us, now we've got this perpetual struggle over, you know, authority and headship and, and you know, value and all of those things. If we start by, by understanding that the larger context that Christ is supreme and, and that all of our lives are headed toward exalting him, we will see that marriage plays a primary role in God's design to bring glory to himself. It's beautiful. The book starts and ends with a marriage. Do you realize that? In the beginning, God creates the world, and by Genesis 2, we've got a marriage, right? Was there a ceremony? Well, no, there was nobody else to invite, right? People go, well, I don't know if, you know, Adam and Eve were really married. There didn't seem to be a preacher in a ceremony, and, and you know, they didn't, I don't know if they made vows or whatever. Well, listen, there's nobody else there, right? God said, here you go, Adam. And he's like, all right. And it says, for this reason, man leaves, a, uh, leaves his father and mother, joins to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's marriage. It's marriage. It starts there, and it ends with the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
It ends. The whole book culminates in Revelation with the marriage supper of the Lamb. So marriage is this picture of the gospel. It's this picture of Christ and his church. It's this picture of God pursuing his, his beloved. That's you and I. That's, that's his creation, his beloved that, that, that has been lost due to our own sin and rebellion, and yet he pursues us anyway. So Christ in the church is the, is the, is the, the ultimate reality that our marriages are mirroring and pointing to that we will one day see culminated in the end. Right? So we see our marriages as, as the greater context of moving toward exalting Christ overall, that helps define how we see this. So there's, a, there's an article I attached to your app um, by Gloria Furman that, that talks about submission in the context of Christ exalting in the cosmic history. And so I would encourage you, she does a beautiful job of fleshing that out a bit more. So that's where we have to start, is that when applied correctly, this passage will lead to a Christ-centered marriage, not a husband-centered marriage. Okay, so we have to start there. Secondly, submission is about image bearing, not inferiority. Okay, submission is about image bearing, not inferiority. Okay, so we're going to get to that. In order to, to earn the right to speak into what submission is, I, I think I need to start with what, a couple things that it's not. Okay, I think we need to start by just clarifying a couple things that this verse is not saying. Okay, so, so I first would say it does not say that all women should submit to all men. Okay, you understand that. This is talking about the context of a Christian marriage, a covenant marriage. This is the context in which he's speaking. It's not about all women everywhere submitting to all men. That would be a terrible idea. Dads, dads can I get an amen, right? Dads of little girls, can I get an amen, right? Like we ain't, we're not leading with that. We're not telling our daughters to submit to all men, right? It's a bad idea, right? This is not talking about the workplace, Right? You, have, you have a woman that's in authority over you in the workplace. This is not, you, you don't try to usurp her and weaponize this verse and say, listen, I, I don't submit to you, woman. You're not, like, no, like, stop that. Stop it. Right? No, you, you, you humbly serve alongside. You defer to that authority. Right? You, and, and, but this is not all women submitting to all women, single women. This is not, this is not talking to you. This is not, it's not saying you, you submit to just whatever male comes along and, and tries to, you know, power up on you. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So it is not saying all women submit to all men. It does not say obey. It does not say women must obey their husbands, right? The word is submit. And while they, they pack similar connotations and feels for us in our day and age, they are very different words, right? So, um, in, in, and it's important to look at this in context because Paul is going to speak to children and, and slaves, we've got to do some work on that one too in a couple weeks, right? But that, that's more of this authoritative of boss and employee, right? And, or father and, and children. In that context, he does say obey. He said children must obey, right? So he's not using the same word when he speaks to women in the marriage relationship. He uses a different word, which is submission. And that portrays equality that leads to a voluntary deference, a voluntary submission, and that is very different. This is not this inferiority where somebody doesn't have any option, where women are just robotically, okay, yes, sir, yes, no. That is not what's being portrayed here. There's the equality here, but there is a headship that leads to voluntary submission amongst two equal parties. Okay, so it's important to know. This is not, it does not say obey, okay? So we'll talk more about what it does says, but we just need to clarify these things. It also does not apply to sin or abuse, 
okay? We, we hit on this a couple weeks ago. I don't think it can be overstated because there's been some really bad teaching come out of pulpits and churches that, have, that has led to the mistreatment of women um, around this idea. Okay, some of you experienced that firsthand. Some of you know of that secondhand. This is not applying to sin or abuse. You notice it says women sub- or wives submit to your husbands as is what? Fitting where? In the, come on y'all. Wives submit to your husbands as is what? Fitting in the Lord, right? Fitting in the Lord. So that is both saying, hey, this is how God has designed us, but it's also given some qualifiers as to where the husband has authority, right? This is, this is giving qualifiers here to where the husband has authority. If it's not fitting in the Lord, then, then it doesn't apply. So here's just real simple. Wives, if your husband and, and God disagree, who do you follow? God. Okay. If, if your husband and, and, and God disagree, God wins that. Hey, what does this mean? Okay, it means if your husband is trying to convince you to participate in sin in some way, you don't follow in there. You don't submit there. Okay, if he's trying to get you to, you know, uh, embezzle money, cook the company books, pull off some other manipulation, you don't, you don't submit there. If he is um, trying to get you to um, bring porn into the bedroom, you don't, you don't submit there. That's out of step with God's design, right? If he says, well, I like it, or this is what I want, no, no, right? We, we, don't, we don't expect you to submit there. So it doesn't apply to sin, stealing, right? Th- those sorts of things, right? <clears throat> because our submission is all under the umbrella of the Lord. We're all under his authority, and you have to defer to him, right? So secondly, it doesn't doesn't apply to abuse. This has been so wrongly used against women in churches for for far too long. So women, hear me, hear me. If he forces himself upon you, if he is harsh with you, you are not meant to stay and endure silently and quietly in the name of submission. If he hits you, he puts his hands on you and harms you, you are not meant to stay and endure in the name of submission. In that sense, what you are meant to do, your role in helping him, as we're gonna look at in a little bit, your strong help in that situation is, yeah, you're gonna love and forgive, but you're also gonna call the cops to get that joker arrested, okay? You don't, you don't tolerate being abused. You don't tolerate being sinned against just because, this, because he may use this as a, you know, as a weapon and say, well, you've got to submit to me. No, no, that's, that, that doesn't apply here. As is fitting in the Lord is, is an important qualifier when it comes to women and wives submitting to their husbands. And that brings us to the last thing it doesn't say. It doesn't give men a weapon verse. Man, this is not your memory verse. Just a quick pro tip. If you have to quote this in your home regularly so that your wife knows you're in charge, you're doing it wrong, okay? That's a bad approach. If you've got to regularly say, well, you gotta, you gotta, what, you, you're my wife, you gotta submit to me. Eh, you, you've, got, you've gone wrong long before that moment, okay? This is not a weapon verse. You don't memorize this. Your verse is the next one. This is not even talking to you, man, okay? 
Wives submit to their husbands as in the Lord. Okay, that's, that's wives are, are, are called to live out their obedience to Jesus by submitting to their husbands as it's fitting to the Lord. Men, you are not called to make your wives submit as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, that's not how this works. It's not a power, this is, this is not a weapon verse. Okay, it's not a weapon verse. You memorize the next one, verse 19. Okay, you double down on that, sure, it's okay to know verse 18, but don't start there, right? Don't start with that's what you quote. Okay, so clear-ish? All right, so now, and, and see, that's the problem. When we start with our cultural understandings, we're forced to kind of wrestle with this shifting the women either, either down into submission or perhaps bringing them up out of oppression, right? Like, that's the problem. When we start with our cultural understandings, we're gonna, we're, we, we, got, we gotta go, okay, I, I don't know, like, maybe I've been taught that, that women, you know, are, are, are maybe, maybe they, they're not supposed to be as, you know, oppressed as I, as I was taught, or maybe I got too much into the feminist movement and, and they need to be brought down. Like, we, we start to, you know, struggle with this. In reality, if I do this well, I should equally offend both the feminist and the chauvinist, Right? Like that should be, like God's word doesn't bow and start with either of those places. This is God's word. Both of them have to be called out and repented of accordingly, okay? So we don't want to start with our cultural understanding. Instead, let's start with creation. Let's start with creation because it's beautiful. <clears throat> so as you see in Genesis 2, we, we, you, maybe you know the story. God's make, God makes Adam, right, out of the dirt, uh, man in his own image. But then he, he says, after saying everything that he's made is good, he looks at Adam and he says, man, something's not right. He's alone. That's not good. Let me make a helper suitable for him. Okay? So then he makes Eve out of his rib, right? And then we get Eve. Now, the word that is used to describe Eve, that, that, help, that, that word is translated into helper, but it sort of gets us off on the wrong foot when, when understanding what exactly the role of women is in God's, women are, women is, I'm not going to get that right, so just fill it in, in correctly in your own brain. But the, what the role of women is to be in God's creation, if we just start with that idea of helper or helpmeet, we're going we're gonna to hear that through our own cultural context and perhaps have a lower view of women than God means for us to do. So maybe you have heard the word, I preached it a little bit, if you've been to a wedding that I've done, you've heard me talk about the word Ezer Kenigdo. Anybody ever heard that word before, Ezer Kenigdo? Make bumper stickers or something, it'll be cool. All right, so it, what it, what it, it's actually the Hebrew word that gets translated into help me, into helper. It's the Hebrew word, the original language, that's actually describing what God is doing when he's making the woman, who this woman is to be. And it packs a whole lot more emphasis and a whole lot more value than, than us just starting with this idea of helper. Ezra Keningdo is a word that is used only here in, in Genesis 2 to describe what he's doing when he makes Eve, the only other time that it's used, it's to, used to describe God himself. And it's used to describe God himself as the one who shows up when we most desperately need him. It's used to describe the, 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 the role that God plays as life sustainer, as the one who shows up and, and gives us the help that we need. It, it, it would be better translated into strong help or into um, you know, it, it's also this idea, it packs with it this, this idea of strength or force or power, and then coupled with Adam saying, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is, this, is a, this is a like, this is a similar and from the same source 
force that is brought alongside for this mission that God has made. This is not about possession, but it is about co-image bearing. This is about God saying, okay, I made Adam. He's in my image. Let me make another that is in my image also. And she's going to have this, this strength and this gifting and this ability and these intuitions and this nurturing ability. Like She's going to have things about her that, that are a, a constant mystery to men. Amen? She's going to have this beauty and this attractiveness and this, this mystery about her that is going to image God and, and draw and confuse and confound men for the rest of history. And it's beautiful. God says, I, let me make this Ezra Canigno. Let me, let me make this woman for this man to, to come alongside, right? I, I say in those weddings, like, remember, Ben, how she was made. It, it, it was not out of the, the top of his head to be, uh, you know, ruled over by him. It wasn't out of the bottom of his foot to be stepped on by him, right? It, it wasn't out of his back to be, you know, hidden. It was out of his side to, to walk alongside to do life with. It was underneath his arm to be held and, and sheltered and loved, right? It was near his heart to have his heart and to hold, like that is the image that God, that God is putting forth here. Not this inferiority, not this, 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 this idea of possession and, and oh, she's just there to do whatever Adam needs, right? When Adam gets thirsty after working in the garden, somebody's got to bring him a drink. Let me make him a woman. No, that's not what God was doing. It's not what God was doing. He was making an incredible, image bear with incredible gifts and incredible strength and incredible really power within their being, within the feminine nature is incredible power that images God. In the book that, that I uh, attached to your app written by, by Tim Keller, which I strongly recommend, he calls it a strong help. Instead of just a help me, it's better translated a strong help. So, Now, we could see this totally different as we approach this idea of marriage roles. Now we could see that the woman isn't inferior, right? She is not, as the culture would have said in this day and age, property to just be managed. She is equal. She is partner. Okay, she is gifted. She is smart. She is able and she's made in the image of God with innate abilities and intuitions and gifts that men will not be able to do, but should appreciate and defer to and rely upon. That we're complementarians here at The Journey, meaning we believe that God has indeed made male and female distinctly different, but also thoroughly equal. And those differences do not negate better or worse than they don't degrade more power or less power. Rather, they complement one another and together fully bear the image of God. Right? And that doesn't mean if you're single that you are not complete and you're not an image bearer. Right? That's not how this works. We're talking about collectively as a community and then specifically within marriage, there is a role to be played by male and female that collectively images God. Right? And so we see it in that sense and we start to have a better chance of understanding exactly what women what are being called to here in this passage. And then let's go a step further and let's make sure it's clear that women, wives, Christ is your example in submission. When it comes to submitting, Christ is your example. 
Our Savior is so good. You hear it talked about from leadership standpoints that a good leader never asks his followers to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. You heard something like that? Right? It was one of the richest truths about our Jesus is that he is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize. You know that passage from Hebrews? Meaning, he's not this guy who's just removed in this ivory tower, who's never done what we have to do and dealt with what we have to deal with and suffered in the way that we have to suffer and struggled in the way we suffer. No, no, he is, as Philippians 2 said, he is God. He is fully equal with God, and yet he set it aside and stepped into our world. And he lived the life that you and I couldn't live. He suffered in every way that you and I have suffered. He is tempted. He was tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted. And yet he did not sin. He has felt what we feel. He has felt the pain, the struggle, the temptation, the draw, the, the oppressive nature of this fallen world. He's felt it all and he's there and he gets it. Okay, so Philippians 2, let's just flip over here. If you flip back to the left, one of the most beautiful, just succinct passages in scripture talking about how we should have humility, but it says this in verse five of Philippians two, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, so though he was in the form of God, he was, he was fully God, he is in full authority in the, in the creation story. There's, there, there is this collective, let us make man. There is this deference. There is, there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And there is equality, but there is also a headship. Okay, as we're going to see. But, but Jesus, so Jesus defers to, to God the Father, who is the head. So there is this plurality of leadership that exists within God the Trinity, right? There's a plurality of leadership, but there's also a headship in there. That God the Father is named the head, right? So uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11, I believe. I've got it somewhere in my notes, and I think John's got it on the screen for us. But it, it, it paints the context in this way. It says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a, of a wife is her husband, and, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, so you see this, this that God, or that Jesus is God, and yet it, it says in Philippians 2, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Okay, you, you get the imagery there? That he doesn't have to hang on to this, this reality where the angel, like, you, you read the stories, you realize all of the angels are screaming out in worship and glory and holy, holy, holy to Jesus, right? But Jesus is on that throne. He's hearing every angel for all eternity to declare his worth to him. And yet he says, I don't have to hold on to that. Instead, I'm going to willingly set that aside and I'm going to step in and I'm going to defer to my, my, my head, God the Father, and I'm going to fulfill his will. Right? And so, therefore, he steps in to our world, right? We, we see this... Um, Played out even further when Jesus, um, John 6, 38, he says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And just quickly, think about Jesus as a boy. You know the story in, in Luke where Jesus, where Jesus is growing in wisdom and stature, and then they, they, they're headed back from the festival in Jerusalem, and they're like, oh, where's Jesus? And he's back at the temple teaching, right? So in this moment, we see Jesus is perfect and he has all wisdom and stature and yet he's submitting and living a life submitting to his imperfect earthly parents in Mary and Joseph. Right? Like he didn't have to do that. You understand that, right? Like he created Mary and Joseph. He has authority over them and yet he submits and lives a life honoring them. 
right? And then he goes on it and some of the most, you know, you could just see this over and over again. Jesus will often say, I've not come to do my will, but the will of the Father. I don't say what I want to say, but only what he has told me to say. This is a, a rhythm and a, and a repetitive um, you know, verses after verse after verse in the gospels, you see Jesus refer to this submission that he has to the father, but the most poignant and impactful place is we see him in the garden of Gethsemane. And you know, the story Jesus is, is he knows the cross is coming the next day. He knows what's about to happen. This was what he stepped off the throne to ultimately do. And yet the weight and the gravity of what he is facing is overwhelming him. And so he's crying out and praying to his father in such intense prayer that it says that his sweat turned to blood. I don't have a category for that. But this is our Jesus weeping and praying to his father in the garden of Gethsemane. And what he is saying, Matthew 26, verse 39, says so going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Father, if it be possible, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Even though he's in submission to his father, it doesn't mean he doesn't speak up. Wives, even though you're in submission to your wife it does, or to your husband, it doesn't mean you don't speak up. It doesn't mean you don't share your heart, right? Jesus is pleading with his father saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then the famous line, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will, not, not my will, but your will be done. And then, and, and, and it's not even just this quick once and done. In, in, in the verse 42, he says it again. For a second time, he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, then your will be done. Right? But there, there is this, he is equal. He has submitted. He's been sent on this mission. And yet there is this dialogue. There is this togetherness. There is this conversation that is happening within the Trinity where Jesus is in full submission but he's also in conversation and he's equal and he's laboring with his father. Okay, so now when we have all of that context, we see that submission is not about inferiority, but it's about image bearing. That within the Trinity, there is a plurality of, of leadership, but there is still a head. Okay, there's still a head. And so in a relationship like marriage, which is given by God to portray the gospel. But guess what? There's only two parties in this deal, right? So though they're equal and they are women, you need, some of you just got to sit there and you need to hear that you are equal. The world has diminished you and you have believed them and you think you're inferior and you don't know how to just comprehend that. We're going to talk about it in a minute. All of us have to learn both submission and authority. And some of us struggle with one or the other a whole lot. Right? Some of you wives really, really, really struggle with submission because you really, really, really crave authority. And the roots of that can probably be traced to whole lots of things in your life, but you, it's, it's out of insecurity, right? It's out of this fear that you need control so that you feel safe. And so you're, you're, you're pursuing that in your marriage. We have to go back to the gospel. We have to go back to the cross and let Jesus handle that fear. Let Jesus handle that need. Now we can go to our marriage and submit rightly and honor what he's calling us to rightly within our marriage. So I forgot exactly where I was going. But when we have <clears throat> that view in mind. Now we can realize 
that we are playing the role that Christ has called us to play, that we are equal. That's where I was going. We're equal. Right? So conversation, it doesn't mean it's just this quiet, shut up, uh, you got to do what I say because I'm the man. Nope. There's conversations. Wives bring their point of view. They bring their value. Like, men, you need to know there's going to be plenty of things that your wife is just flat out better at than you. And it's foolish to just power up and, and shut her down because you're the head and she needs to submit to you. That's not how this works. You, you come to the table, you bring discussion, you listen, you hear one another out and you, and you take the value from that. But when there is a stalemate, and this should be the exception, not the norm. But when there is a stalemate, when there cannot be agreement between the man and the husband, somebody has to break that tie. Somebody has to take responsibility. This should, not, this should be a, a humble responsibility, not a proud privilege that men bear in, in being the head. We're going to see that in just a, in, in a little bit. But, but so that's why God has put headship in place, right? So it's a Trinitarian image-bearing issue, not an issue of inferiority. So wives, you are called to play this role that though you were equal, you get to voluntarily bring honor to the Lord by submitting to your husband. We get to show the world that there is indeed harmony to be had where there is equality and headship. We get to show the world that. We get to image God in that sense where a world just can't see how, how that could be life-giving, how a loving God could call someone else to submit, and how th th we get to show them how this is not oppressive, this is the path to life. Because of our freedom in Christ, because he has established our worth, because Galatians 2.28 is true, and there's not male-female that gives you status in the kingdom of the Lord, because that is true, we get to embrace that, live that out, and now come and willingly submit to the Lord together which is going to lead to following his design for marriage, which is going to be wives submitting to husbands. However, however, the submission of the wife to the husband is inevitably and necessarily conditioned, significantly so, by the demand that husbands love their wives. Okay? So that needs to be clear, that the submission of a wife to a husband is, it is essentially conditioned, and not just a little bit, but a whole lot conditioned, by the next verse, which is a command for husbands to love their wives. And in so loving them, we as husbands will often submit to their needs, desires, and wishes. Okay, so that is so important to keep, the, keep reading and keep the qualifying going because the third point, third, final, third and final point is headship is about service, not selfishness. Okay, headship is about service, not selfishness. Jesus himself says, I have not come to, to, uh, to be served, but rather to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus could have commanded with his power and authority that everybody bow down, that everybody, like, that everybody just, just worship him. But instead, he comes to give his life as a ransom for many. And though there is, there is a, a short, and it, it doesn't flesh it out as much as Ephesians 5 does, this kind of love that he's calling us to is not just a quick, like th there's a whole lot more in this passage than just a quick one-verse statement. Because this word for love is derived from the word agape love, which is, which is the word that, that describes the way that God loves us with this self-sacrificing, self-giving love. Now, and this is the countercultural point. Like, 
They, they would have been used to hearing wives submit to your husbands in this day and age. But nowhere, like commentator after commentator after commentator pointed out that nowhere in other ancient like wisdom literature or household codes that all the cultures had, nowhere was there any instruction for how the husband should love the wife. It was just left out. It wasn't a part of the deal. So for Paul to say, for God to lead and inspire and command God, Paul to write this and give instruction about how the Christian household should be, it is a countercultural thing that says, no, no, wives submit to your husbands, yes, but it's not in this property management kind of way that you've seen in the world. It's in this self-sacrificing, loving, mutual submission, deferring to Christ kind of way. Okay, so it must be shaped by that, and we must start there and, we, and let that condition how we approach submission is that headship is not about surface, but it's about self, it's, it is about service rather and not about selfishness. So the word there is, again, derived from that about agape love, and Jesus is the epitome of that, Okay. Here's how Jesus, and, and Paul says this in Ephesians 5, he says, hey, you, husbands love your wives. How's he say? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. So husbands, hear me. You are called to live an initiating, self-sacrificing, serving first kind of love to your wife. What does that mean? That means this is not a 50-50 relationship. Okay? This is not, you didn't make the, the agreement on your, on your vows to, to, if she gives 50%, I'll give my 50%. No, no, no. You have, have committed to give 100%, period. Full stop. You're in for 100%. What does that mean? That means when she's not giving her full 100, you don't, you don't meet that, right? You don't downshift. Well, she's only given 40, so I'm not going to give my, no, no, no. She's, she's given 20, you're still giving 100, right? She's given 80, you're still giving 100. She's given 100, you're still giving 100, right? Like, the, the, the love of Christ is defined and epitomized by Romans 5, 8 that says, while we were still sinners, okay, while we were still sinners, this is how God showed his love for us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't wait for your wife to earn your love and your self-sacrifice and your, and your pursuit of her. You don't wait for her to look good enough, act good enough, cook good enough for you to love her the way that she's called to be loved. You love her, period. You cultivate her, period, right? You bring out the best in her. Ephesians 5, read that later. It talks about how we are called to, to bring out the best in her. The way that Christ loves the church, the way that Christ loves you, he doesn't give up on you. He doesn't wait for you to earn it. He pursues you, and he's calling out the best in you, and he's calling you to be more and more like him. And one day, he's going to present you to the Father as a bride robed in white, fully cleansed of all of our impurities. That's what Jesus is doing with you. You understand that? He's not waiting for you to earn his love. He's coming for you. He's pursuing you. He's inviting you. He's loving you. He's speaking to you. And through that, he's making you more and more into his image. That's how we're called to love our wives, men. Bringing out the best in them. Pursuing them. Not waiting for them to earn it, but initiating the love. Initiating. Coming for. Listen, men, we got some work to do. This kicked my butt this week, if I'm being honest. Rather than I, I, like, I love our marriage. Like, we're, we're really, like, year 13, we just finished it. It's, it's the best year yet. Like, I've loved it. But one of the things I've noticed is that his life has evolved. More kids, different work schedules. Like, my pursuit of her has downshifted. 
right? Now, she doesn't bring that to me in nagging, but she's let me know in different ways, right? She, she's let me know that, hey, she doesn't really feel pursued and loved in the way that, that, that I used to do that, right? That's me, and, like, for, and it's different for everybody. It's gonna be different in your relationship than it is in mine. What that means for me is I need to plan a stupid date. I need to set aside time for her, right? I need to let her know that I'm thinking about her when I'm out and about. Like, just, you didn't know this about your pastor. I'm just giving all kinds of weird quirks about me lately. Gift giving freaks me out. Never do I feel more insecure than when I have to give a gift to anybody, anybody. Staff, my wife, we're like, I'm just like, I don't know. What, about, what if they don't like, I don't know. It's just weird for me. It like, shuts me down. What does my wife want? She wants me to just get her stuff when I'm out and about. I'm like, I don't know what you want. I walked all through Rule King. I couldn't find anything that stood out for you. <laughs> don't know what you want. I'm kidding. I tried Target and that just spins me out even more. But she's just like, anything in these stores. You know, she'll tell me something like that. Just anything from that store. Oh, Magpie Market House. I'm so like, do you need any help? No. What are you looking for today? I don't know. Like, right? I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just going to leave, all right? I'll just, I'll just search her Amazon history and see what she's browsed, and I'll buy that, right? Like, I am just shut down about this. I'm so terrible at it. But you know what? Does it matter? Does it matter? I need to work at it. I need to pursue her. I need to make sure she feels loved. So men, women, just, no, let me just stay with men. Hey, how are you going to know if your wife is feeling loved? Deep breath. You with me? going to have to have a conversation. I know, it's really big. You're going to have to have a conversation. You have to ask him, hey, do you feel loved by me? Or when do you feel most loved by me? Because it's going to be different for every relationship, okay? So you're going to have to do that work. But we are called to be the initiators. Christ loved us while we were still in our sin. We love our wives while they are still working on themselves. It's not our job to be the Holy Spirit and to bring, like, we don't, we don't point out all their flaws to them. We love, we serve, we pray for them. We find ways to bring the word into our home, right? Don't posture up, tell her to sit down and listen while you teach her a Bible study. That's not gonna go well. Find ways to bring the word into your home though, that'll go well. Hey, can we read this devotional together? Hey, let's, we're, gonna, we're gonna do this together. We're gonna read this together. We're going to sit under God's word together. Hey, I'm listening to this podcast. Let's listen to it together and talk about it. Hey, let's listen to this. And hey, I planned a date on Friday night, and we're going to talk about it. Let's see what the Lord is teaching you, right? Man, it's not actually rocket science, but it's going to take some intentionality from you. And the further you get from your courtship and your pursuit, the more likely we are to coast, men. We got to stop. We got to stop. Christ doesn't stop pursuing you when you get saved. He just doesn't. He keeps pursuing. He keeps pouring out love. He keeps speaking. And he keeps cultivating that relationship. That's how we got to be as husbands, right? And the qualifier for us is do not be harsh with them, right? Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What does that mean? Well, that do not be harsh, actually, it, it, would, it translates to don't make bitter. Well, how do you make your wife bitter? Well, tell her all the time she's got to submit to you. That's going to lead to bitterness. Right? Not thinking about her, not planning, not setting aside time for her, not showing her, it's going to lead to bitterness. Only, only wanting her when you want something from her, men. Only wanting her when you want something from her, how's she going to feel? She's not stupid. Right? You wonder 
while your life in the bedroom is not like you'd like it to be, start with looking at yourself, not her. Start asking yourself questions about your pursuit of her, not her. Don't start with her. Don't start with her flaws. Don't start with how she's not. Or if, if your explanation for why your marriage is not what you want it to be starts with her, just, just repent. Just repent. Start by looking in the mirror. Open up God's word and saying, Lord, make me into the man that you've called me to be. Help me to love my wife the way that you love me. And I trust you with the results. Ephesians says, hey, love your wife the way you love yourself. Nobody neglects themselves, right? You're hungry? You're going to figure out something to eat, aren't you? You're probably just going to go buy it because a lot of us can't cook, right? But, right? but, but, but you're, going to, you're going to feed yourself, right? You're thirsty, you're going to get a drink. Like We need to make sure that we're looking at our wife's needs and figuring out how we meet them proactively. So don't be harsh with them. Don't, don't, don't put them down. Right, you're in conversations like, and here's the struggle for me. I, like Riley and I, part of the reason our marriage is easy is because just our personalities just kind of our. Here's what we said last night as we were talking about it. Our brokenness just kind of fits together, and it's a good thing, but it also can be a negative thing, because she is not prone to want to power up and and have strong opinions and be right. Like that's just not her her nature. Guess what? It is mine, right? I like being the guy who knows everything. I like winning arguments, and I'm pretty good at it. I talk for a living. So guess what? In arguments, I can run her over. That's not okay. It's not okay. I think, like, like she needs time to think. I can just run her over, right? And that's not okay. So what do I got to do? I got I to gotta, I gotta slow down, right? I got to think about her needs, and I got to not be harsh with her, not make her bitter, pursue her, okay? You're going to have to figure that out in your relationship. It's different for everybody. You're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to do some work. But be clear, man. Headship is about service, not selfishness. You don't use this verse to get her to bring you a beer after you got home from work while you sit on your butt and she does all the work to cook and, and do the dishes and put the kids to bed and you sit there and watch the game. You repent, you get up, and you go serve your family. You open the Bible. You do the dishes. You do the chores. You tell your wife to go take a nap. Like you own something and serve her. Serve them, men. Headship is about service, not selfishness. You fill in the blanks. You apply it to your life. You be honest. You don't know, ask your wife. She'll help you see. Okay? Do the work, man. Do the work. Let's be like Jesus. Let's love our wives. Do the work. Do not be harsh. Do not make her bitter. All right. In closing, we have to be honest here. Marriage is hard, isn't it? Marriage is hard. We got some people in here who've been married 50 years, some 25 plus, some just a couple years. Like, marriage is hard. So what do we do? First and foremost, you need, we need to turn to Jesus. Where he hasn't been the center of your marriage and of your life, we need to repent and make that right. As I said earlier, we all actually have to learn submission and authority because we're all under Jesus, right? Like we all have to learn that. Some of you are more prone. Like some of you men are way too good at submitting. Some of you men are way too passive. And that's what you need to repent of. Some of you women are way too good at authority. And that's what you need to repent of. Some of you men are way too harsh with your authority. And that's what you need to repent of. 
Some of you women are way too comfortable in your passivity and you never exert your gifts. You never let yourself be heard. You never let the world feel the fullness of how God has made you. You get to repent of that. Where Jesus hasn't been the center, we need to, where we've been taking our question of value and worth to anybody other than Jesus, including our spouse, we get to repent. And there's freedom there. You see, when we get defined and identified and valued at the cross, now we can go and give ourselves in these other relationships. We can give ourselves to servant leadership and headship. We can give ourselves to image-bearing submission in our marriage. Right? But we have to start with the cross. We have to start with our lives being defined by Jesus. Then we can have horizontal relationships that will bring honor to him and joy to ourselves, joy to us. And like he wants joy in your marriage. He wants you to, to, to grow, right? Pastor Darren used to say, marriage is not just for your happiness, it's also for your holiness, right? It's gonna grow you in the Lord if you're, if you're doing it right. And again, if you're doing it right, it's gonna be Christ-centered and Christ-exalting, not husband-exalting or wife-exalting. You're gonna have to repent. Secondly, talk to each other. Talk to each other. You're going to have to have a conversation. Hey, where am I struggling? Where have I not honored and respected you? Wives, ask the question, hey, where do you not feel respected? How can I do better at honoring you? Let me just give you a tip. Wives, men do not feel honored and respected when you cut them down in public. Okay? when you point out how stupid that comment was or, or you laugh at them or you tell the stories of their failure at the expense of them and in front of their friends, they don't feel honored by that. That's not gonna build up mutual love and respect and cultivate joyful marriage. That's just one example, but you're gonna need to have a conversation. Men, you can't just show up and expect that you're entitled to her love. You gotta pursue you gotta pursue, you gotta ask questions. Hey, how can I, how can I make you feel more loved, right? And you gotta have to do the work. It's like learning a new language. Love languages, is this just fun? Hey, what's your love language, right? Oh, I'm gifts, or I'm, I'm acts of, and you can identify them, but then you gotta do the work of learning the doggone language, right? So it's just like, hey, going to Don So, hey, what language do most of you guys speak? Well, Spanish, okay, cool. Does that help me communicate with the person who doesn't know English? No, I gotta learn Spanish, or they gotta learn English, and that takes time, that takes work, doesn't it? That marriage is going to take time, it's going to take work to, to learn the other one's language, to be able to speak that fluently and move toward one another, okay? Thirdly, turn to community. Here's the deal. I said earlier, we got people who have done this for 50 plus years. Some have done it 25, 30. Some of you are just starting. Let's turn to community. What do I mean? Find somebody who's done it longer and seems to be doing it a little bit better in some areas and take them to lunch. Take them to dinner. Hey, what have you learned? What's your, what's your, what's your wisdom? All right, or, and, or maybe, not even or, maybe and, talk to your community. Hey, where do you see us? Like, what, where do you see us sinning against one another? Where do you see us? How can, how, right, women, ask the other women in your community group, be honest with me, how can I honor my husband more? Where do you see me cutting him down? Men, ask the, the men in your community group, 
Men, ask the women in your community group, how can you love your, your wife better? Because the other men probably aren't going to be all that in tune to, to that. But they probably can see some ways you've screwed up. But like, talk to one another, right? Turn to community. Let's, let's, let's glean from that wisdom. Let's serve one another and walk with one another. Let's pray. God, we need your help in all relationships. We need you to define us, speak truth over us so that we are not clinging and scrapping for something from someone that only you should be giving us. So help us. Help us. Thank you for being a savior who has given yourself in self-sacrifice, who has shown us how to love. Help us to live Christ-exalting marriages, submitting and leading in a way that honors you. Send your spirit to convict. Send your spirit to draw and send your spirit to heal. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, grab your communion cups if you haven't yet. We're going to come to a time of response, but I want it to be defined by, I want us to do what Paul walks us through doing, starting with the gospel and then moving to our behavior. Some of you need to be, you need to just be honest today that your marriage is not what it should be. We talk often here at The Journey, hey, speak up when you smell smoke. Don't wait for the fire to be full blown. Nothing grieves us as elders more to find out that some of you are near divorce and we didn't even know. Speak up. Ask for help. Okay, uh, John, I think I've got a, a passage there from, from Hebrews that talks about how we get to approach God cleansed. Let us draw near, Hebrews 10.22 says, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is what is true about us. Now let us draw near to God based off of that. This meal is a reminder that that is the truth that the gospel provides. That Jesus gave his own body, his own blood, so that we could be made clean and step into his presence and ask for help in our time of need. So we get to do that. So take that, that wafer and remember Christ's body being broken for you. the cleansing that is required of our souls can only be done through the shedding of blood and Jesus handled it once and for all and we remember that by taking this meal and taking this cup he says this is the blood of the new covenant where our righteousness is purchased where our cleansing happens Jesus's blood there is a fountain drawn from filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. Your marriage may be marked with struggle and issue after issue. Maybe you haven't slept together in years, months. Maybe you haven't spoken. What, let, let the gospel do its work and bring cleansing that allows you to now step forward and do the work. You can be made clean, made new, individually and collectively by coming to Jesus and allowing his blood. If you haven't yet, take and drink, remembering Jesus' blood given for us. Hey, uh, prayer team, community group leaders, I want to have you guys come up. We, church, we're still struggling to execute on this, but you need prayer, come and receive prayer. This team's up here to pray with us. We're going to sing a song of response. Worship where you are. Worship how you feel, feel led. Come to the altar if you would like. Come and receive prayer if you would like. Let's be honest about where we are, and let's turn to Jesus for help.
This is our time of response. Jesus paid it all. Let's celebrate. Let's not hold back anything from him, pretending he can't handle it. Let's bring it to him.